Hello, folks. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. My name is Roy Bensvi, and I'm your host. And I want to explain a little bit about the podcast before we start the show this week. This podcast is an opportunity for me to speak with some of the most interesting people I know that I can find on the internet. So either with amazing talents or achievements or just unbelievable life stories or invaluable insights into areas that they have dedicated their lives to studying. I sit down with these amazing individuals from all across the world. Really, I've talked to people from Slovenia to the Czech Republic to Australia to countries in Africa and South America, uh, really just all over the world. And I try to ask them the questions that will hopefully help you extract something valuable or learn something new or just get inspired by. And I do hope that you do get inspired by these talks with some sort of a call to action, maybe change something that you wanted to change for a while, or even just enjoy, you know, detaching from the world for an hour and listening to some great conversations. So whatever it is that you get from this, I do hope that you extract something from it and enjoy the conversations. All these episodes are available on all the major podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google, and the rest of them. You can also find the episodes on my website, which is RoyBensV.com. You can find a lot of other information about me there as well, from photos to a little bit more insights into who I am if you're interested. And, you know, you can always go to social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. I'm pretty active on both those platforms, although the only ones I have. And um, I try to post regularly so you can stay up to date. And also be sure to, you know, put your email on the website. Uh, I shoot emails out with updates, news, any new current information that I have will be sent via those emails and social media platforms. So, Yeah, make sure you're in the loop. This week on the podcast, we have Elias Elhart. Elias is a snowboarder um, from Austria, originally born in Germany. And he has, you know, he has a very impressive resume from, you know, snowboarding some of the biggest mountains in the world with some of the best snowboarders in the world to being in some of the most interesting and crazy documentaries about snowboarding. So he's really been a part of it for a while. And, you know, if you want to watch some of his, some of his films, you know, feel free to look up. I think it's on IMDb, but I'm not sure. But he's been on, you know, with Travis uh, Rice. The movie's called uh, Dark Matter. He's got another one on YouTube. It's called Contra Addiction or Contradiction, which is a really kind of beautiful, artsy, artsy, a little bit of a different vibe, more introspective, more, I don't know, the movie just had a completely different feel. The cinematography was a little bit different. The way he presented it was different. I I, I really enjoyed it because I like different. I don't want to keep watching the same film over and over again. So when someone has a different spin on something that's been done a million times already, it's always refreshing. And I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed our conversation. I like talking to him about snowboarding. He was giving us some insight about the mental capacity and and what you have to go through just to get to the top of the mountain with the helicopter up the ridge and then snowboarding down and all the while staying completely focused on the task at hand while obviously having, you know, an amazing time with some good friends. And it's just an interesting insight uh, 
into someone that performs on the highest level possible at his sport. And I always love, I think when you see someone doing something and they're doing it at the highest level, it's poetry in motion. doesn't matter if it's a chess player or a snowboarder, an MMA star, uh, you know, Michael Jordan, whatever, even not sports related, right? But when you're seeing someone performing on the highest level, it's just poetry in motion. And that's what I see when I see him and Travis Rice and a bunch of others that are just snowboarding these unbelievably beautiful mountains in these untouched mountain ranges, you know, especially in Alaska. It's just, it's so massive and it's, the population there is so scarce. Like, I feel like a lot of those areas have just barely been touched. It's also, it's not accessible, right? If you're not a really high level mountaineer or if you don't have a helicopter, I mean, that's pretty much the only ways you can access those those areas. And the cinematography is always very cool on these things and the music choice. So I, you know, I enjoy those type of movies, anything nature related that's authentic. Like some of these, and I just don't feel like they're very authentic, but when it's authentic and done well, uh, I just feel like it's must-see TV. And we also discussed climate change, the effects that, it's going to have on the smaller mountains, unfortunately, the ones that can compete with the bigger ones because they're going to have shorter seasons, less snow, and just less people are going to eventually come until they have to shut down because, unfortunately, they're just not going to be able to compete with the bigger ones. Um, it is the unfortunate side effect of climate change. One of many, obviously, you know, the bigger ones are that are pertinent to our survival are the more important ones, but... I do feel like this is important. You know, it's people's livelihoods, it's restaurants, it's hotels, it's flights, it's um, rental companies. There's just so much that goes into any one of these smaller, not to mention the big ones that have whole industries around them, but even the smaller ones, it's, uh, it's people's livelihoods. It's people that have been there for many, many decades, and this is what they love, this is what they do, and it just does not seem like this is what they're going to be able to to do in the future. Unfortunately, you know, the bigger ones, I think they'll be okay. They might hike up prices, but I, I think that overall they will survive. And maybe if humanity starts acting in a bit more of a pressing manner, we'll be able to, I don't want to say negate, but maybe stall some of the side effects that we are already seeing. And we're definitely going to be seeing in the future. You know, snowboarding is one of those things I personally love doing. It's one of my favorite activities. It's something I wait for all year for the snow to, to arrive. And I know a lot of my friends feel the same and people all over the world do as well. And I think during COVID, we realized that we need activities that we love. We be staying at home and just working. It's not enough and it's making a lot of people crazy. So we need those outlets to run, to ski, to play basketball, whatever it is that you're into, MMA, Muay Thai, you should be able to participate in those activities with your friends, with your teammates. And it's just, that's what, I guess, it's one thing, but it's one thing that makes life a little bit more fun, a little bit more interesting, worth living outside of work, family. You have to have some sort of a, a love for something. So that's one of my things. And obviously, Elias as well, he's super passionate about it. And you can see when he talks about it, you can see when he's 
cutting down these unbelievably large mountains and the way that he, he snowboards, you can tell that he's super passionate about this. And this is something that, you know, he's been doing for a long time and hopefully will be doing for a long time because we enjoy watching him. Like I said, it's poetry in motion at the highest level. It's always fun to watch people do that. And yeah, we had a really good conversation. And I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Uh, make sure to, you know, give him a follow, give the podcast a follow as well. And that's it for uh, for me. So I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Here is Elias Elhart. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. How you doing? Good. Yeah. Just uh, trying to figure out how I got the phone charging so I don't disconnect. But um, yeah, everything's pretty well. I <laughs> I was just uh, I was just surfing for so long that I couldn't even pedal into waves anymore. Um, really? Just three hours altogether. Jesus. Um, yeah, it was, it was really good. Um, You're in Portugal, right? Back in the van. Yeah, I'm in Portugal. Yeah, how's uh, how's the how's the weather? The weather of just pretty perfect, honestly. Uh, I love it that way. The the, the nights are cold. Um, the days are sunny and and warm, but and the water is in I don't know in degrees. Uh, maybe like eighteen degrees, nineteen degrees. So, wow. Uh, four three wetsuit is just perfect. Um, yeah, it's been really good now. Yeah. Don't they have some of the biggest waves in the world there? They do. Um, I guess in Nazareth, they, that's like the famous big wave spot. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know when those waves are coming in, probably around December or I don't know. Um, anyways, that's far from where, what I'm surfing. Because <laughs> um, I remember I was watching videos and it's just, it looks like something out of this world it's just like a hundred or 200 foot wave i don't know how big it is but it's it's massive and you see this tiny little person right. just like surfing in the middle I'm like how is this person gonna survive that yeah yeah absolutely yeah um yeah i've seen videos of it too and that place seems to be really nice like those shots that i've seen of it um is it some really local building that's always in front some watchtower or something and then you see this massive wave in the background yeah. and maybe like a tiny little stripe indicating that there's a person on it yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah is that yeah, something that it would have been nice to actually you'd want to do that oh no way i'm like light years away from that level um and and honestly no i mean it's not even me to talk about the, the <laughs> possibility of ever aiming to do it um i do really enjoy you know the playful aspect of of surfing and really getting into that at the moment um and the idea of ever throwing myself into something very serious even a couple of levels lower than that i'm not sure whether this would be something i'd want to aim for in surfing like i love it when when the wave has some power to push you and you can play around in it, but this seems like really serious business. That they yeah, do. yeah, it's you're you're barely a dot in this massive, massive 
force of of gigatons of energy that is this massive wave it's it's not it's not something to take lightly and like you can't even like surf out there right you have to have like i think it's like um what do you call it one of those little jet skis that has to like paddle you out and then you kind of i don't know find your wave i don't know too much about it i just i saw like i remember a documentary about it that it just it looked too too insane for me right uh, yeah there is there seems to be a lot going into it so you have the jet skis pulling them in but they also have some sort of like um life west that blows up when they're underwater and still they're underwater for so long that they have to like go through a crazy training to keep their breath for i don't know a minute plus and i don't know so it's, wow. it seems to be really intense yeah 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 yeah, that's the that's the top level guys. That's uh, <laughs> that's not not for the not for the regular guy. But you know, I see a lot of yeah. snowboarders that kind of I, I feel like there's a lot of overlapping between surfing and snowboarding. You'll see a lot of snowboarders that in the off season, you know, in the summertime they'll go surfing, and then a lot of surfers that in the wintertime they'll they'll do snowboarding. Is it because it's it's a yeah. little similar? Um yeah. I guess for the snowboarders especially that makes sense because we are so uh, tied down to the season. So there is an off-season. There is a time in the summer that we can really venture out and do other things. Uh, A lot of snowboarders really get into skateboarding and get actually pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, And surfing as well. It's just a beautiful board sport as well that there is quite a bit of crossover points um, that I think once you've really thrown yourself into like board sports and developed uh, a feel for board sports, then it's easier to translate. I mean, nevertheless, it's still a, a whole new sport. You need to learn from the start, but maybe some steps are easier once you're on the wave or, you know, on the skateboard and the bowl or something, you've already um, learned a bit more on, on the board. And, and so I guess that's, that's been beautiful that you can connect those thoughts a bit. If you're a surfer that has never snowboarded, does that give you an advantage coming in and trying to snowboard for the first time? More than like, let's say, someone who's done, um, I don't know, skateboarding or th- or some other, you know, board or sports that, that involve boards. Mm. No, I think if you're a good surfer, you should be snowboarding fairly quick and fairly good, I think. Because surfing is 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 so complex, um, how you know to stand on the board and to ride well and to turn well, and so it's much harder than snowboarding, really, uh, where you're where you're strapped in. And I think if you've really learned that technique well on a surfboard, then I would think you could translate it uh, quite well on on the snow. Yeah. Yeah, I've never I've never tried surfing. I just, you know, I've I've always done only snowboarding, but I I've always wondered if I would try surfing, if that would translate, if I would have some sort of an advantage coming in to, you know, the fact that I've been doing, I don't know, snowboarding for 10 years now, if I would come in and I would feel some some sort of a comfort or some sort of a familiarity trying to do surfing rather than not doing okay. anything. Okay, oh, so you so you mean the other way around from yeah. snowboarding to surfing? Um, yeah, I I think that there is a, a bit of an advantage as well. I mean, that would have been what my experience was like. 
Um, but, you know, there's so much going into it until you catch the wave and until you're okay on your board <laughs> that you have to kind of learn before you even can take any sort of benefit from having a bit of uh, board control and knowing how to turn. Um, and all the stuff that's happening before, you know, paddling in, reading the wave and getting up and all of that stuff. It's so difficult to learn, really, yeah. um, that with all of that, I, I almost feel like you start where everyone else does. And then, yes, once you do get on your board and you start to turn a bit, that's probably where it helps if you've had uh, yeah, time on your board already and if you feel comfortable turning around and playing around a bit. So for, for people that may not know you, um, Elias is one of the best uh, big mountain snowboarders in the world. Is that right to, to say? I wouldn't take that claim. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a professional snowboarder. Professional. I mean, definitely one of the best. I mean, you, you know, you, I've seen, I've seen some of the, the documentaries that you were in and some of the lines that you, that you've done in, in some of the biggest mountains on, on, in the world. And I mean, you're up there, you know, definitely one of, one of the best. Um, you're originally from Germany, right? Yes, I'm from Germany. Um, actually all the way down south, close to Austria and Switzerland in that triangle. So where the Alps, really start that's where I grew up okay and now you still live there or, or you live in in Austria I live in Austria now in Innsbruck so that's okay. two and a half hours drive from where I grew up yeah so you have a lot of mountains available yeah Innsbruck is pretty incredible in that regard um it's really such a unique city that right in the middle of mountains you have mountains that are 2,500 meters um, wow. high on both sides of the city and right like right there the houses even go up to each of those mountains um, so you could be at a ski resort in 20 minutes from like your house to dropping in yeah um, so yeah, that that's really made Innsbruck so special for me. That in the meantime, there's also some cultures. You know, there's lots of universities. Um, there's some life outside of the board sport world and outside of the sport world altogether, which I really appreciated. Um, and and I love to be so close to snowboarding and yet to have a chance to incorporate more into my life other than just nobody part of it yeah i love that's what i love about you know there's certain places in in europe in in uh mainly austria switzerland uh around obviously the, the alp region um northern italy where the city and the mountains are kind of interconnected you can just you know enjoy the the city life and they have like really beautiful cities but then you know the the gondola to take you up the mountain is like five ten minutes away and there's these amazing mountains, just like vast open spaces. And you don't really have mm. that anywhere else in the world. That's really like that type of lifestyle. That's, that's really very European. Like you don't like here in the U.S., there's obviously big mountains, but like there's there's not that same really city life around it. You know, it's just like the people who come there are specifically that's the that's the only reason. Right. It's just a little different. 
Yeah, I think it. That's a good point. I think that um, creates a whole different vibe. Um, if you're in a place that's more or less a resort that is tailored to just fit that sport or tourism altogether, yeah. Um, then it creates that really touristic, um, bubbly sort of vibe, which in itself could be nice as well. Like you can, it it becomes something for its own. Like say Whistler, it's yeah. its own world. You know, where all the people from all the world get there and they make this place so unique and this then creates its own sort of spirit. But um, Whistler wouldn't be the place it is or would be far from anything like that if it wasn't for all those sports that are done there, like mountain biking and, and winter sports. Yeah. And I think that really shapes so much of it. And and I like the idea if there is some foundation uh, still present that has nothing to do with the sport. Um, and and yeah, like maybe in Europe, it's a bit more like that because uh, say Whistler, for instance, I think it grew so quick. Like yeah. it's insane. I, I read into it a bit. Like it grew so incredibly bit quick in, in 50 years or so from scratch. I like don't nail me down on this, but like, in comparison, of course, with some of the valleys that in Europe that um, have been around, you know, far like farmers have been around for a very long time, um, yeah. or Innsbruck has has quite a long history. Um, there's just been a lot of other things before the sport was even a thing. Yeah, yeah. There's just this vibe when you go to to one of these like ski towns in Europe that just I don't know it just the, it doesn't exist anywhere else and you know obviously you've been around the world you've you know you've skied I'm sure much more places than I have but it, like I've never you know even here in the in the US like you can the, or, or Canada where the mountains are really big in Colorado or Montana or or Whistler but the feeling the vibe the it just it's it's just not the same. You can't replicate what Europe has. It's just unique to Europe, you know. And it's not like that. It's better or worse. It's just unique to that part of the world. Yeah, yeah. I would think so. There's definitely parts that are a bit like, well, so so. You know, like all the upper ski. If you're into it, maybe. Yeah. But, um, there, but there is definitely the the Euro specific um, things. Just as much as there is. U.S. is specific sort of vibe and scene in winter sport culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's only normal that these things shape in a way as much as the society shape. Like it's only a reflection of the society really in this small scale of, of the winter sport resort. So at what, at what age did you start snowboarding? Um, I started with 11, I think, yeah. I was, I was skateboarding a couple of years before that. Um, and I was skiing really early on. I think I was skiing from age two on. Yeah. So like, I was going to say 11 is like, old. Cause like I, I, I see it I in, in Austria, like four year olds, three year olds, just like on the slopes yeah. skiing already. Right. Yeah. No, the skiing was just so normal. It was just something you grow up with. Um, but then snowboarding wasn't really around so much where I grew up in it, at least. Yeah. It really, the trend really caught on. Um, uh, yeah, when I was 11 years old. Um, yeah. 
Still there? Yeah. Okay. All good. So, um, yeah, I guess. And then, then I really got into it though, pretty quick and really dedicated all my time to snowboarding and, and so fell in love with it. Is, is skiing slash snowboarding pretty much the biggest, um, sport? I don't know, maybe not the biggest, cause obviously there's football, but as far as just everyone doing it, right? Like, do you know people, do you have friends that don't ski or snowboard that you grew up with? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, not really. It seems, it seems like no. That, <laughs> it's weird. Like, it's a weird question. Because, like, it's something like, you know, not everyone does it like full on. Some would, you know, do it like once or twice a winter and more go for a walk kind of style. But yeah. like, they still are on the slopes or they go to a resort just because it's most people, they just grow up, uh, grow up with it in one way or another. Um, actually, I do have a friend um, that has never done it, but she's from Somalia. So oh, okay. <laughs> she just didn't grow up with it in the, in the same way. Yeah. But I'm sure if she grew up here, she would have started it in some ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I remember like when, you know, when I, I've, I've skied in Austria a bunch of times and, and you would see kind of the kids, uh, like the parents would drop them off after school at the local mountain. And, and that's what they would do. That was like the, it seems like the after school activity to just, you know, ski or snowboard. And they were so good. They're like eight years old. And I was, I'm just looking at them like, God damn, these kids are phenomenal. Right. Like no fear, <laughs> just going up and down the mountain until it's nighttime. That was their like, you know, after school activity here it's it's uh football or basketball or whatever it is and there it's yeah 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 i mean depending on like how close yeah people live to the mountains but like yeah say in areas like Tyrol, where it's really all over the place the resorts and mm -hmm. where winter is also pretty long then in winter when there's like half a meter snow outside it would be hard to just go play soccer all all year long I guess and so that it's just then the activity what to do in in the winter time while of course all these kids they or many of them would be playing soccer and being soccer teams uh, in, in the summer yeah. that was the case for me at least like I, was, I would play soccer in the summer but like yeah winter was just very much to go skiing is you know is climate change a real a real issue? I mean, it obviously is a real issue. But as far as the mountains, I mean, you're getting more warm weather, less snow, less cold days, more warm days, and you know, I feel like I don't know if it's already affecting. I'm sure it is, but it's going to start affecting these mountains in a more serious way, and it's going to affect the ski resorts' income, uh, people coming in, you know, in shorter amounts of time, uh, all the hotels, all the restaurants that kind of depend. On, on the tourists coming in as their livelihoods. I mean, there's a, there's obviously an environmental impact, but I've, there's also going to be a economic impact to that as well. Right. Mm. No, uh, totally. And, and also where I grew up personally, like I said, uh, um, mentioned earlier that it is at the start of the Alps, the region is called Algoy mm -hmm. and the mountains there aren't so high. So they're starting around, you know, the resorts are starting around 800 to maybe 1,000 meters. And then they go to like 
2,000 meters maximum, like just okay. around there. And that's a lot of the resorts, they, they're just, can't do much winter um pro, like can't offer much in the winter anymore um and snow cannons don't really help you know artificial snow can't really buffer that yeah. that the temperatures got so much warmer that um i mean the resorts that i grew up riding at that was really normal to like just go to after school like you said um that is rare now or even behind my house, which is 800 meters high. Sorry, I'm not like saying in speed. Uh, no, no, it's uh, fine. I'm, okay. I'm used to I'm, meters I'm, as well. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I, I don't want to say anything wrong to translate it. <laughs> but anyways, so that, that is where I was really like, I would come home from school and fill the jump behind my house. And I know that now it's, it's just becoming much more rare for this to be possible at all. So I can really see it in the region that I grew up in. Yeah. I mean, are we going to get, you think we'll get to a point where we'll only have the big mountains, you know, only have uh, the whistlers and uh, and the veils and uh, the big sky and all the little ones are just going to have to shut down because they're just not going to have enough, you know, enough snow. Yeah. You know, I think it's really unfortunate the whole uh, evolvement that we can see and that's probably continuing to be there yeah. is that winter sports is becoming more and more exclusive in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, the resorts are becoming less, but bigger, much bigger, those resorts, but also much more expensive. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, especially in the U.S., as far as I know, I know it's like in incredible the prices of a lift ticket yeah it seems like so exclusive already um i think in veil it's like pass, in veil they're like a hundred and a hundred and something dollars a day yeah 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 I, I think at least but you would know better um but but maybe you have good like season pass options. That's what I heard that a lot of people then do, and they're actually really really good in comparison. But I don't know. Other than that, it really is is unfortunate that um, the sport that we love in the end is so yeah, it's is exclusive already and probably has been in the past, but is becoming a lot more exclusive now uh, for the time to come. Um, and I think what I've described at home in, in Europe, it just has been such a, a normal sport for literally everyone growing up. Um, and, and probably that's also going to change. Like I said, in the region where I grew up, it's just not as easily possible anymore. And then people would probably migrate to like those or would go to those um, much bigger, much higher resorts that then would rise prices. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm afraid that that's an involvement we're going to see more of. Yeah. Unfortunately, I just, I feel like the economics of it are just going to make it so they're going to keep raising prices because if they have to, uh, you know, make more artificial snow or if they have to... You know, if they have shorter seasons or what, or just it seems like all their costs on their end are just going to keep rising, and then that's going to come fall onto the consumer. 
So eventually, right. you know, it's just going to be pricier and pricier. But I don't know. I, I hope that the big ones, you know, like I said, the Whistlers or the, I don't know, the, the, the big ones in Europe as well, um, survive and somehow, I don't know, I don't know how, but somehow manage to sustain it for future generations. Cause, uh, you know, it's one of the, for me, like, like I wait all year for winter, you know, and I'm sure you do. And I'm sure a lot of people mm -hmm. as well. And it's just, it's so unfortunate if that's not something that, you know, future generations are going to be able to, to enjoy. That's going to, it's going to be very sad. Mm. Yeah. I mean, of course, in the bigger scheme of things, of climate change, it's, it's totally meaningless in a way, whether we get to ski or not. Yeah. Um, but because there's so much bigger issues connected to it. But of course, for a very personal point of view, if you found so much joy in doing it and you see it changing already drastically right now, not just in like future generations, then this is one sad aspect of, of the change we, we see coming at us. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think to, to, to the point that you made, I think in um, in COVID times, we've seen like how important it is for people to do what they love. I think when you when when you know when everyone's in this quarantine or lockdown, and they're not able to go to the gym or meet people or 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 enjoy the activities that they enjoy, I think you see people starting to lose their minds a little bit and you know go into the depression and anxiety and and all these different things, you know, mental issues. So I think these outlets of, of snowboarding or whatever it is that you like doing, right? Football doesn't matter. Just surfing. I think these things are very important for human development. So, you know, it, obviously it's more important for us to have water and food, but I do think that, you know, snowboarding and being outdoors, enjoying those things are, are very, are not obviously not as important, but, you know, independently important so as I, well. I, Yeah, I get your point, and I agree that it is such a incredibly valuable part of life, really. Yeah. Um, it's not just to sustain life, I guess it's also to find joy. Um, and if you do find joy in doing sports, it's amazing, and I would never underestimate the power of it, to bring people together to create a lot more than just the pure pleasure. But also the pleasure, like that in itself, is just value yeah. to be had. Um, and, and that I never would want to talk down or, or small. It's just that from the position of, say, a snowboarder or a winter sport enthusiast, when you do talk about climate change and, and maybe ramble about the fact that it is getting warmer, it just so easily has a weird taste to it, while... As mentioned, it is already such an exclusive sport and climate change is driven by those most fortunate that can consume, can spend, can fly around the world. Um, and so it is just very easily a tricky terrain to move upon like in the position that we're on. That's why like, I don't really want to position myself strongly as say, a winter sport enthusiast that now needs to fight for whatever the snow to stick around while I know there's so much other problems that maybe yeah. are caused from this place of privilege 
and that cause a lot more damage in other areas really of the world yeah yeah um you know your film i saw your film um i think a couple of months ago um i, I guess you call i don't know if you call it contradiction or contra addiction or or both uh yeah well it's thanks that you caught on to this so i guess it's easy to like just overread or think what they did of misspelling there um yeah i guess i really that was at the start of the idea that i wanted to combine in a way in one word the passion that i and the love that i have um for the sport which would be the addiction yeah in in some ways and then the contradiction that emerges from it which is basically what we just talked about um you know being so in love with this nature sport you know which snowboarding really is you do it outside and you you have so much appreciation for your surrounding and yet you use a lot of resources to do it um and it's not always good for nature and and for what you love anyway that's just yeah. one aspect of it it shouldn't only be about environmental impact it should also be the film about growing up getting older in a sport that sort of dedicated its identity to eternal youth in some ways um that is at least at the core of the snowboard idea um the scene um and and for good reasons in some ways because what at the core of snowboarding is is, is this freestyle approach you know this playful approach to to the mountains but even beyond you know to anything just to be lighthearted and and do these things in in a lighthearted way, which I find a lot of beauty in. But then again, yeah, like I said, you grow up and you want to take responsibility eventually. And how does that fit together uh, or find purpose other than just your own joy? And so these are topics that I wanted to engage in with that project. Yeah, honestly, it was one of my favorite, like, uh, snowboard or sports uh, documentaries. Um I just feel like a lot of times when I watch these movies, I just skip ahead, <clears throat> excuse me, to the snowboarding part because they lack some sort of a depth. But this was such a different film than most of the others that I've ever seen. It was just much more like introspective and, and dark and artistic. And, and um, I don't know, it was just very different than 99% of, of all the other snowboarding films. And, and I've seen a lot of them that, that I've seen. So, you know, that's something that I really appreciated for for you to take something that there's hundreds of movies about and give it a completely different spin. It was very interesting. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really yeah, love to hear that you you liked it. Um I actually have also been working in in the snowboard film industry for so long, participated in so many films. Um that was beautiful and that was a dream of mine to go to all these amazing places and they showcase snowboarding in the most beautiful and maybe also progressive way yeah but with time i also felt like i wanted to use this platform and it to, to tell a bit of a story a story that meant more to me than just the pure joy of, of riding um and and maybe a story that reflects on the controversies that i would I don't know, carry around with me for so long. And so that was a very personal project. And in the end that I really 
threw myself into for whatever one and a half years, close to two years. Um, wow. So I'm really happy to hear that uh, it uh, resonated with you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, I've I've seen you in other movies as well. Obviously, in um, Dark Matter with Travis Rice, who is a uh, you know a snowboarding god, <laughs> for lack of a better term. How um, you know when you're when you're snowboarding? So I guess two questions, but I guess first is how is it snowboarding with with Travis? How is that experience? Yeah, that was really funny. Um, coming from say this direction that I've that I've um, gotten into, where I was using more snowboarding as a tool, as a vehicle to tell stories that that meant something to me um, and. And you know, after contradiction, I then uh, went to Kosovo and and spent a good portion of the season in Kosovo and told the story of how the winter winter sports basically got people together from different backgrounds. Um, and saying that, I was really like a bit outside of this very performance orientated approach to snowboarding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got the invitation from Travis to come on this trip to Alaska. Uh, which was, of course, a dream, but also it was so far from where I, I saw myself at the time. Um, but anyways, I, you know, took the chance, um, came to Alaska, and and yeah, it was it was amazing to ride with him, to get to know him better, and to get to know his approach to the mountains. Um, yeah, really loved the experience there. It was very intense uh, three weeks that we've had and <laughs> yeah. basically the the whole film the whole dark matter film was uh, was filmed in those three weeks that was pretty special too that we did like a whole whatever 26 minutes film in yeah three weeks and then it was done <laughs> like wow. filming wise wow that was really amazing yeah i mean I, I don't know it's i guess it's also like it's really high level um videography and cinematography and 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 i guess post editing but it's just the lines that that you guys do there he just he seems like he just has absolutely like no fear he just i don't know it, it, you know it's like that same um analogy that we made for the massive waves and that tiny little person like if you kind of zoom out you see a tiny little person on this huge mountain and and there's just you know potential for for rockfall and avalanche and just no fear right no that's true yeah but i think more than that he just has so much skill and yeah. determination um and that's what i've really seen he's incredibly talented and alongside that he's incredibly determined to pursue those goals that he sets himself and i think that really comes into play to like what enables him to ride the lines like he does. Um, a, I did not, like, I did not um, get to know Travis as, like, reckless in any way. You know, yeah. he's very calculated. He's really smart. And he really thinks about the, th- the decision he's taken and then, like, wraps his mind around those lines that he wants to ride, like, for hours before sometimes, you know, checking um photos how he wants to write them so i think 
yeah. So given the level that he's at, it's it's totally doable for him with the with the determination and concentration that he's putting in. Um, yeah, to then write those lines, and of course there is a a risk remaining that he can control, whether it is avalanches or cornice falls or traverses that could open up. Like there's so many um, hazards, really. Yeah. And and yeah, to those like towards those risks, I think yeah, there's also a lot of there is a lot of acceptance to be like, all right, which plays into the determination that I said. Um, so yeah, that was really interesting to witness and be a part of. I mean, when you're snowboarding those those lines, let's say in, in Alaska, right? And um, are you almost in a meditative state? I mean, are you just hyper aware, hyper alert, like almost like tunnel vision on the task ahead? Or are you just out there having fun like you would on, you know, I don't know, riding down Whistler? Um, yeah, it's actually, so that makes me think of some of the moments we've had up there. So in in Alaska on that trip, it was just Travis and myself and, and two filmers. So that really helps if you have a, a tight crew, if you have a yeah. close crew, because also the group dynamics really come into play of how you experience the whole situation. You don't see all the other people maybe in the shop that you're writing down, but in fact, there's so much a part of it. There is um, everyone involved, really, like the cameraman and your buddy up there um maybe uh you know giving you a hint here or there or supporting you um so that really plays a big role um and when it comes down to what you've asked uh, sort of your mental state that you're in in riding those bigger lines it's it's yeah it's really tunnel vision in some ways i think really you really just focus and um not that you couldn't just like you know make jokes with your with your friend and it's 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 still fun but it's at the same time you're really concentrated and it's it's mentally draining and exhausting yeah um that's interesting how like some days out in alaska you just come home and you're so drained mentally mostly yeah i mean physically also but but um i have never experienced it that strong uh, as in Alaska, where so much can happen in one day that you're just mentally you're fried, yeah. and I think that comes from the fact that it takes so much bandwidth to 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 have the presence, is, which is kind of required in such situations, to to uh, yeah to to really have that presence um, to meet the situation that's involving so much risk. And so much, say, decision making and on the spot presence. Yeah, I mean, you're almost like in a. It's almost like you're in a Formula One car, right? You're just heading down, and one little mistake, one little swerve to the left, swerve to the right, and it could be fatal. So you have to be, you know, if I'm just snowboarding down the mountain, you know, I'm not always in focus 100%. I could be looking back towards my friend. I'm, you know, I'm taking in the scenery. But out there, it's just like a hundred percent, and it's also like it's it's fairly short, right? It's not like you know the whole thing lasts maybe a minute or so. Like, how long is it? Like from top to bottom, it's it's not very long, right? Right. 
Yeah, yeah. It depends on how long the line is. It could be maybe up to two minutes or so. If it's a long line, no, yeah. two minutes seems like forever, you know, <laughs> and it's not a very long time, but it, like you would never be on a face for two minutes, really, unless yeah. you stop. Yeah. So it's more like less than a minute, which is incredible if you think of it. Um, less than a minute, for sure, like maybe 30 seconds, some of the lines. But um, the, the thing is, what, what's mentally draining is not just the riding part of it. It's not just those, say, 45 seconds you're really like riding down the mountain. It's um, everything that goes into it. It's, you know, in, in, in the case of, of the trip I did with Travis, we were there with a helicopter. So that already is, is so nerve wracking to be <laughs> around this machine and to like decide on the spot so quickly what you're going to do, where you want to be dropped off, like decide that you're going to buy this line that you've just maybe seen seconds before. Yeah. And then to decide you want to be dropped off right next to that big corner. And then, you know, you do get dropped off with maybe a, um, uh, in a way that the, the helicopter is just hovering. It's not sitting down because there's no way for it to sit down and you like try and get out like light footed. So you don't disbalance the machine and then you're out there all by yourself. So lonely, as lonely as you've ever been <laughs> because you know, you can't be picked uh. up anymore. <laughs> um, and then you like, uh, realize that you're not at the start of your line yet you still have to hike to it and maybe on the backside where everything's blown up there's no not much snow there and there's like just a sheer rock face yeah and so i'm just trying to like tell you like <laughs> there's so many parts that like keep keep your heart pumping yeah until the moment that you actually drop in um that <laughs> that that is the intensity i think of, of say that trip there Wow. Yeah. You you paint you and, paint a very and, vivid picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then when it comes to the moment that you do drop in, um, I think that is also the beauty that that everything else is there there's no really there's no space for much other thoughts. Yeah. Um not not too present at, at least. And that is beautiful as well, like how a situation so demanding could almost offer that to you to like really having to be present um and and yeah nice i think if that works are there i mean are there additional pressures but you know to perform when the when the cameras are around like are there are there lines maybe that normally if it was just you and travis or just you and a friend you would say you know what like I'm not feeling this. I don't think I'm going to do this, but you know, it's a movie and there's cameras and you're like, no, you know what? Fuck it. Let, let me, let, let me try and do this. You know, is there any, any, any of that? Yeah, oh, for sure. It's, it's very own game. Like to, um, to film for uh, film production, you know, this becomes, it, it doesn't just become an add-on. Oh, there, I do what I do anyways, and there happens to be someone filming. No, it's more like we're there, we're working together on creating uh, those images, and so we're working really closely with the filmers too, and then it becomes its own sort of challenge. And of course, that challenge is so different from say, if you just ride with your buddies. No, yeah, you know, it's just so different, but... 
I wouldn't necessarily say that you would take more risk necessarily or that you're more sketchy because everything is also a lot more thought through, you know? If I'm with my friend just on a powder day, I'm like so loose sometimes that I'm like just jumping around and, <laughs> you know, like it's it's beautiful. It's amazing. But, you know, I wouldn't look at the things as much as I do with filming. I wouldn't consider it as much. Um, I'd probably take already three laps more. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, jumping around everywhere. Yeah. 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 I mean, is is... I mean, it's definitely, you know, I feel it on, on, on a micro scale when I go and, you know, uh, I was in uh, Japan earlier this year in, in Niseko and there's just this humbling feeling, right? When you're in these beautiful mountains and, and you see like a beautiful vista. And I mean, do you feel that when you're in this, you know, places like Alaska where the mountains are just massive, do you kind of take it in sometimes like do you have a minute to just say wow like this is extremely humbling like the place that i'm in yeah yeah no definitely um and it's really important to do that when you get so like tunnel vision and, and snowboarding in the snowboarding part of it maybe then for the time being you almost oversee the beauty of the scenery that you're in yeah um and so for sure it's really important um for me and I guess everyone that that is out there um, with, with me and the, the whole film crew and it's uh, yeah to appreciate that and to take a moment and see all the beauty that's surrounding us and and all the vast mountains and yeah for sure humbling is a is a good term to describe the feeling I think that that you can have when you look at it. What would you say is your uh, if you have one your favorite place? Or, I mean, let's say, what do you say is the some of the best snow on, on Earth as far as places you've been? And, and what is kind of your favorite place to snowboard? So, conditions-wise, if I only take conditions, for sure, Alaska, I've never seen anything like that. Really? It's just from a different world. Um, when it comes to very, very steep lines, I think that the fact that... We can ride such things in Alaska, which they in Europe would just be rock faces, is that uh, it snows very humid, and so it sticks to the rocks. It snows humid because it's coastal snowpack, so it's closer to the ocean. Um, and then there's all these dry, cold nights, and then it gets like, yeah, kind of perfect powder after it's stuck to all the rocks. And that creates these insanely steep faces. But that being said, that's just more or less like a a dream, a trip to be had, you know, like almost a mental trip, like to ride these lines. But it's not the reality that that I also love so much about snowboarding. And so if I had to pick one place that I would only want to like ride, if I could, then it would be home, like literally home in those, uh, home resorts that I like around Innsbruck. Really? Um, because, yeah, yeah, because it's everything you you can just say have a good day from just good snow conditions. You need lift access um, to to make laps. Um, in Alaska, it's more of a production situation where you have these incredible moments, but they're they're rare and you know, wait a long time for it, and then it costs an fortune to do. 
Um, in say, yeah, around Innsbruck, you have lifts that go to all these places. You can take laps. You come back to the same hit over and over again. You and you do it with your friends. And so, if you put all of this into the equation, then I would really say, um, out of all the places I've been around the world, um, home is the best to me. But that is probably because it's home, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so for others, you know, that may just be where they're home, and that's beautiful, and that's yeah. I think how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, I there's a nostalgia with home, right? It's like it's also with with food, right? If you're in a resort, the if you go to most places here in in, in the U.S., I would say the food is not great <laughs> as far as ski resorts but in europe it's pretty awesome like even on the mountain you can have like really tasty food uh great beers it's just i think there's that's also a part of it like the the, the experience that you can have on the mountain which maybe you know you can't have that everywhere else in the world like when i was in japan now you know, that you didn't really, yeah, there, there weren't like stops along the way where you could stop for a beer or, I don't know, a goulash or whatever it is that mm. you like. It was <laughs> kind of like only only at the bottom. So I feel like, yeah, yeah. I, I could see why you would, you know, why you would uh, pick home as, as your favorite spot. Yeah. And like you said, home is, is, is idealized in some ways, always, and that's probably good this way. Um, a random comparison. I don't know if it fits at all, but you know, the partner that you choose to be with is maybe not the most beautiful person in the world. Probably not. Yeah. But you may see. Don't tell her that. Don't tell her, her that. as such. <laughs> yeah, but you may even experience her as such, like, and to some extent, at least, you know. Yeah. Because there's a lot more emotion connected to it than, say, the objective. Oh, you're so and so objectively speaking, and and you don't want to have object an objective relationship with the one you love or the places you love. You want to have your very own sort of relationship to it, and I think that's beautiful if you can have that. Yeah, it's almost like by default it's not objective, right? Like once you once you involve love into something, it's almost like objectivity is just out the door, right? Like you, fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fortunately it there's no place for it. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah, it is great. What um so I mean as yeah. far as I mean after going to places like Alaska and you know other some of the biggest mountains in the world, I mean, do you not have I guess the question is, you know when you have people who always chase the bigger adrenaline dump, right? Like you'll have climbers who want the bigger wall or surfers who want the bigger surf you know the bigger wave and for you and you know i see this with with other snowboarders as well i mean you do the biggest mountains and then is it just do you enjoy the smaller ones just as much you know after having the big ones uh, it's almost like yeah this is yeah this is small it's like it's it's almost like it just doesn't uh scratch the itch that you might have Mm, right. No, I, I do see that um, I love it the most when I feel challenged. Yeah. When I can move around in that sort of gray area where you 
can still handle the situation, but you're really challenged to to handle it. Um, and yeah, like where you get in this present state, what we talked about before, writing those lines in Alaska, for instance. But the thing is, I feel like you can have that uh, experience also in, in many other places, say, writing at home. There's oftentimes days that I'm like, this is amazing, like, you know, conditions-wise. Yeah. It may not be the same as Alaska, but it has its own qualities because I'm back up five minutes later or 10 minutes later with the lift doing the same lap again and again. <laughs> um, and, you know, then you pick out a jump or two, like where you challenge yourself in that way. And, and I think that's to sort of generalize it. I think where I find the most beauty is when you find something that really challenges you and, and you can still, you know, you can still deal with it well, and and yeah, it's a beautiful mountain, nevertheless, or snow, um, whether that is in Japan, Alaska, or or Europe. I think there's many ways of finding that. Yeah. What um what what board do you ride? Um. So I ride a like nitro. Um. And the model is called Santoku. Um, and 162 is mostly the size that I've been riding. Sometimes now 159. Um, but I've helped That's big, work no? on that board for, yeah, the, the thing is I've helped work on that board for a couple of years now. Um, and it actually came from a shape that was called Uber Spoon. So like, <laughs> you know, basically referring to like the nose and the tail being like much bigger starting much earlier than other nose and tails would and we've taken that shape also in the new concept that means that the effective edge length is actually much shorter than the total length of the board um and and that's what you feel you know the effective edge length is what you feel of how quick that board turns say if you're in the slope but the long nose and tail they really give you the float on in powder and that really helps so much. So I love riding that big board that feels like a really small board. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's amazing that way. Wow. So you is that the board you use for only powder or is that like your old mountain board that you use? I, I love the idea of just having one board all season. One board. And so in the past years, I've tried to only do that. I just like the idea of, say this freestyle approach of like whatever comes my way i can play with it i don't need to be so sort of specific oh i don't have the right board for it um but there's limits to it i have to admit now like i've i had to admit that yes for bank slaloms for instance you know trying to be really fast i was fairly slow with the one that i was (laughs) always fighting and once i started to like try another one i'm like oh shit i guess that is faster just because it's so much tailored to like racing style. Yeah. Um, but for say 90% of the time or more, I just write the um, Santoku. Okay. Is that, is, do you work with that company? Is that Nitro, right? You said? Yeah. Yeah. Nitro. They're actually um, pretty close to where I live, one and a half hours from Innsbruck um, in Germany and like so amazing i'm with nitro since probably 10 years or more oh, wow. um and yeah working on the board for instance is 
super cool. Like also the graphics now, we've just finished the graphics for this year. Yeah. But also on like whatever I want to try out, they make samples and they're curious. So that's actually quite beautiful in, in that way. That partners like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. There's so many, you know, especially if you're on, on Instagram and you follow different snowboarders and every time I, I'm like, Oh, look, that's a new snowboard. And I love my snowboard. Like I have a snowboard that I absolutely love, but you know, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I have like a queue list of like five or six snowboards that I'm probably never going to buy. But it's just so uh, enticing. You're like, oh, maybe that one's a little bit better. Maybe this one I can use for this or for that. So uh, it's a tough one. And there's so many out there. There's so many new companies out. It's hard to kind of decipher which is the best one for you, you know? Right. Well, I think personally, generally speaking, I wouldn't give too much weight on product. Mm -hmm. Um, It does make a difference. But the biggest difference is what you get used to and what really what you make your board in in one way like that's that would really um plays the biggest role you can maybe ride a board that at first feels weird and after say half a year you're like oh this is the best board in the world just because this has then become the board you've really you've adapted your riding towards or Mm -hmm. um and that's i don't know and so i think Sometimes if you try and find the best product, it's hard because the product can only be as good as it matches your riding at the time and like uh, how you sort of like also groove in with with the product. Yeah. So in the past, I honestly wouldn't give that much about product. Um, and I'm glad about it. And like now I, I love throwing myself into it and like developing it and kind of nerding out on these things. But I don't think it should play the biggest role, really. So, what you know, what are some tips that maybe you can give people that are intermediate snowboarders? You know, not beginners, but people who are kind of middle of the road and they want to take their snowboarding to to the next level. They want to improve. You know, what are some maybe tips that they could use? Yeah. Um, so. I find one misconception maybe that you need to be brave to progress in snowboarding. You need to just be brave and throw yourself out there. Like, you know, do it, just do that trick or that jump or something. And I would disagree on that personally, because the ones that got really good into in snowboarding, um, the, the people that I've, seen come up and make a career out of it yeah. were often people that were quite calculated actually really? that were quite smart about risk management and so i think risk management is a key in snowboarding of course the biggest and foremost uh, thing you gotta have is passion if you have the passion love to just go out and keep at it and, and just love doing it that's the best and most important thing you've got to have and maintain so you know I yeah. think that's the source of it all. And if you have that source, that's beautiful, but don't think you need to jump uh, like three steps ahead, you know, at a time. Like, yeah. in fact, if you can build in as little steps as possible in your progression, that's perfect. Because then every step you do is like, kind of you find new comfort in that, you find hopefully 
good proper comfort in that and you can widen it with the next step and the next step and the next step and that you know leads up to like a 1080 uh, coming from say doing your first turns on the slope yeah um there's a million steps in between to that 1080 um you know starting to like jump off little sort of side hits on the slope like catching some air then you know riding switch a bit maybe starting to jump and do a 180 so you know half a rotation and then once you really feel comfortable in this you 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 can do this 180 in, in multiple directions four directions you know um front side back side and the same in switch switch front side switch back side so i'm saying there's so many steps that are all important in their own. Um, and, and I think if you sort of really internalize that as, as your way of progression, that really can go far. And if you try and jump sort of like steps, that just so easily leads to an injury or a setback or you get scared and like, it just doesn't seem to like have so much longevity. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. I feel like a lot of people, they'll, you know, they'll try something or maybe they, they think that, oh, you know, I don't need a, a, a tutor or a coach to, to show me what to do. And then they fall and they break something. And then they're kind of scared afterwards to go back for a few years because they don't want to break something again, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, in the injury that may take, you know, half a year, how many days could you have on the mountain? Yeah. Kind of taking it mellow, but progressing every time a little more. Um, if you didn't get injured, then yeah, not saying that injuries you know can happen and are a part of it, unfortunately, but they are. But um, that's kind of the logic that if you don't have those setbacks or not as many, that that really that takes you far. Yeah, you know, I uh, I have a I, I've I've uh, I've been training um, Muay Thai for many many years, and there's a saying that one of my coaches here says. And I feel like it's true for, for everything. He says, if you do something, if you look good at something, most likely you're going to, you do it well. And I feel like that's so true. Like when you look at, at you guys on the mountain, it almost looks like, like it's easy, right? Like you do it so well and it looks so good when you're doing it that I think someone sitting at home is thinking like, I could probably do that. That doesn't look too hard. Like, and that's, that's a credit to you, right? Because you do do it so well and so efficiently and you have all that experience that you just make it look easy. And I think that's something that is an acquired, you know, it's acquired. It takes time to get to that level, but it almost becomes second nature to you at some point. It's almost like, you know, I don't know, doing a 180 or, or flip, I don't know, whatever the, the trick is or wherever big mountain it is, you just do it. Like it's second nature, you know, like drinking water, like going to sleep. It's nothing. Just one more thing you do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, what is style? I guess style is, is a pretty personal expression um, of movement. Everyone does their things different, does walk different, does also snowboard different. So everyone has their own style in that way. Yeah. Um, but I also found that style really comes to show when someone feels comfortable at what they do and that's where the beauty really emerges i find that um when you really see someone that's very comfortable at what they do whether it's surfing or or yeah snowboarding that's when it starts to become so beautiful to watch 
Um, and to find that comfort, you really need to be secure at it. It's not enough to just barely being able to do the trick. Um, and that's maybe along those lines of what you just meant. Yeah, it's it's poetry in, in motion. Um, you know, when I uh, when I watched the film, there's a guy there, uh, your film, Contradiction, there's a guy, Kevin, right? 64-year-old dude, yeah. a little bit, you know, like colorful character. And um, I think this is something that I've kind of battled with and I'm sure a lot of people do it's it's you know this notion of of growing old and potentially having to stop doing the things you love because at some age you're just going to have to give it up and I've I've always had this like idea that I have to cram as much snowboarding time as I can because when I get uh, I, in my head I thought when I would get to 50 I wouldn't be able to do snowboarding anymore because, you know, I'd be old and it's just, it, it wouldn't be uh, safe or, or whatever the reason. I just thought maybe physically I wouldn't be able to. And and then you see someone like him and he's not the only guy. I've seen other people who are in their 60s and some people are in their, in their 70s and they're still snowboarding. But it's so inspirational to look at them, right? And kind of get a little bit of uh, some of their pearls of wisdom and realize that, dude, life isn't over at a certain age. It's just it's it's all mental. It's all however you perceive life to be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like the idea that there's a time for everything. Um, so I think what we get to experience with snowboarding is not only to be experienced in snowboarding you know yeah. there's there's so many ways to find joy and flow um those things that we maybe seek in the sport and so one thing that for me for instance comes to mind there is like when i see people playing the piano you know being musicians like how incredibly beautiful that is if you can really uh, be so one with with the music, but also with the device you're playing it with, with the instrument. Um, it just seems so incredible, and maybe it, it would probably be super hard for me to catch on to like any of that and become good at it. But I just find it so amazing how many sort of ways in there is to find, yeah, like such joy of um of practicing something you know yeah they generally speaking it doesn't necessarily need to be a very physical sport that then becomes impossible from a certain age on or it becomes much harder um so at least i would like to look at it this way that i would like not to force things for much longer than they are meant to last or that they are possible to last and i would like them to like hopefully switch on to things that, that are well possible at the time, you know, surfing for instance, is much less impact, it seems. but who knows um, where I'm at now. And let's say where I'm at when I'm 65 and struggling maybe to, um, to keep snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> what are, are, is there anything right now that has kind of caught your attention or is something that, you, you know, in the back of your head, you're like, you know, I really want to maybe invest more time, in learning this or perfecting this craft, just anything that you've been attracted to lately? 
Um, yeah, I mean, one thing that I was quite into now was the filmmaking part that I quite enjoyed to like throw myself into and and um, storytelling, learning how narrative, uh, yeah, storytelling functions, um, documentaries. So that's something I really like. Um, but also for the purpose of doing something that I see value in, that I, has a certain purpose to me. And, and that is for sure a driving mode, motive for me that, that continues to be there. Um, so I would like to get involved in, um, say, social or environmental projects uh, with a role as a professional snowboarder for the years to come. Yeah. Um, that's just something I would love to just get more involved and um, get to know and, and maybe also get some know-how in this area. Uh, so, yeah, I guess for the years to come, that's where I see myself kind of diving into. That's awesome, man. And uh, Aside you know, from being, being a, a snowboarder. Yeah. No, and, you know, watching your movies, I think, like, the product that you're going to make, the end product is going to be amazing because... Again, like I'll, uh, you know, people should go watch the the, the movie, the Contradiction, because it's uh, it's a very different movie. I, like it's like, yeah, it just has a very different feel, very artsy. The music is different. The whole vibe of it is very very cool. So, you know, I'm sure anything that you put your hand on or kind of get into, it, it'll be awesome. <laughs> but yeah, appreciate it that you you like the film. Thank you. Yeah, man, hundred percent. So Elias, I want to thank you, man. Uh, I had a, I had you know awesome time. I love talking to you. I love talking about snowboarding. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I had a blast, man. Yeah, it was nice. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, definitely. Where uh, where can people find you on the on the internets on the social media? <laughs> I guess social media the easiest would be Instagram. So just my name, Elias Elhat. Okay. Or hard. Um yeah. Probably the, the, the platform that I just do the most on and that I would communicate if there was say a new film or or a project that I would get involved in. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll I'll add it in the show notes. I'll put a link so people can find oh. you, make it easier. And yeah, man. Thanks again. I had I had an awesome time. Maybe we can do it again in the future. <laughs> cool yeah awesome man stay safe uh, on those waves yeah i tried to <laughs> all right goodbye man